Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to drlauribethbisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, accredited, advanced gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist, a sex and intimacy coach, an author, a podcast host, and a presenter. I'm currently starring in Open House, The Great Sex Experiment, which can be seen when it is airing on Channel 4 in the United Kingdom. I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create and maintain amazing relationships that contain sizzling sex and contain no shame. Each week, we are working our way through the erotic alphabet, one letter at a time. And this week, the letter is Y, and it's for why or why not. Another excuse for me to do a question and answer podcast while I'm on location filming the second series of Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. So um, I took the opportunity to ask everybody involved in this production, production staff, um, crew of all types, and all of the participants to throw questions in a bowl if they wanted them answered anonymously about anything to do with sex and relationships. Nothing was taboo. If you listen last week, a W, uh, sorry, X, when it was X is for explanation, that was the first half of the questions. I've still got a lot to go. And so this week I'm going to do some more. You ready for the first one? Here we go. And I want to thank everybody that's involved with Open House, the great sex experiment, who took part in this activity. You've been doing amazing, amazing job of asking questions. Now, if you don't hear your question in, in one of these two, it may be because it was a difficult one for me to answer without physical aids and props. Where I uh, can, sometimes I am recommending you to go listen to a longer podcast or telling you that I'm going to do a longer one on the subject. Okay. 
how do I increase my confidence in a group scenario or with my partner? Okay. So we did talk a bit about um, increasing confidence when you're with other people, when there's more than just you and your partner. And we talked about body confidence already, but let's talk a little bit about how you can increase your confidence with your partner. I'm going to say it again, and you'll hear me say this until you're sick of hearing me say this. Everything starts with our own personal work. Some of the work we can do via self-help, but some of the work it takes a therapist or a coach to help us do because all of us benefit from somebody who will hold that safe space for us. It's very hard to look at things when there isn't that safe container there. Um, Every one of us could benefit from that, whether we've had experience in life that um, was traumatic, whether we're anxious, we're not anxious, we all benefit from having an external source to help us examine things. Um, and, uh, and most of the best spaces are ones in which people ask questions and acknowledge what we're saying and help us to actually work our way around an issue. So that's where you start if you want to increase your confidence in any aspect of your life, is looking at the places where you don't have confidence and getting an idea as to why. Confidence increases when we practice our skills. So some of the time, the reason people don't have sexual confidence is they don't have skills. Well, think about it. Nobody teaches us how to have sex, do they? It's rare. We learn our sexual skills from partners. And sometimes we'll have a partner who's knowledgeable and will teach us, but they're teaching us how to, how to help them enjoy pleasure, how to be with them. And another person might be totally different. Um, or we just experiment. Or unfortunately, these days, people watch porn and think they're going to learn how to have sex that way, which they're absolutely not going to do. So skills is a big thing. There are classes you can take. Identify where you're uncomfortable and take, like, for example, if you're not sure about oral sex, take a cl class in oral sex. There are classes. Um, I um, regularly, twice a year, do an oral sex class that covers oral sex for all genders. Um, and it's a lot of fun. And, and there are examples and I bring out toys and I, you know, I show people all sorts of stuff, tricks, tips and stuff. And I deal with people's insecurities and questions at the time. Um, I do an anal sex class that actually you can purchase from my website, my one hour intro Juicy Peach class, which is an anal sex class. There are other people who do these. Um, uh, Dr. Jess O'Reilly um, does a whole bunch of skills-based classes. Um, so there's loads of stuff out there where you can bone your skills up, which will help you increase your confidence. Ask your partner what they enjoy. You become more confident when you know you're doing what your partner enjoys and get out of your head. The thing that negatively affects our confidence most often is because we're in our head worrying about things that um, we can do little to change. I cannot change if my partner's typical type does not look like me, right? 
I can't change that. If I'm worrying about what if they find Mary Jo more attractive because I know that really typically they like tall, leggy blondes and I can't figure out why they're with me, a short, redheaded, curvy girl. I have to trust that my partner's with me because they're attracted to me and they're demonstrating they're attracted to me. I can do nothing about that comparison and the comparison, it just isn't helpful. So take yourself out of your head. Take yourself out of your head by concentrating on what you're doing. Take yourself out of your head by doing something distracting or actively counter the thoughts that you're having. Build your confidence by thinking about all the positive things you've been told that you believe. Build your confidence, if it's around sex, by your partner's responses of enjoyment and satisfaction. When it comes to a group, enjoying better in a group and having more confidence in a group, again, it's not that much different. You do your personal work on the areas of insecurity that you have on your own, and then you build your confidence by practicing your skills. Practice integrating yourself into a group setting. Watch what people do in order to integrate themselves into the setting. Ask the people you're going to have sex with what they enjoy. Make sure to always ask people about what they enjoy. Check in with them about what they're enjoying. When they tell you you're doing something well, receive that and accept that confident and compliment and allow that to lift you up. I hope that helps. Practice really does make perfect. Pardon me. All right, next question. How do I know if a boundary is permanent or if it is something that can be worked through? Beautiful question. You test it out. I know that sounds obvious and it sounds simple. If you've set a boundary in place because you're concerned about something, for example, if you're in a situation where you're opening your relationship and the boundary that you've set is um, no, uh, no intercourse, you see how you feel comfortable. You have a number of experiences where nobody pushes the boundary, where you don't change it, you just sit where it is, and you notice. If your desire is to push it because you're excited, you think, oh, I'd really like to try that. You don't push it at first. Take a step back when you're not in the sexual experience and ask yourself, what worries do I have about engaging in that activity now? If you still have the same worries, you can also go away and work on those worries. If it doesn't shift, don't push the boundary. So you're testing it. You're stepping back and you're examining it. Sometimes you'll make the wrong choice. You'll decide, actually, I think I can push the boundary now. You'll do it and you'll have a negative experience. Negative experiences are not the end of the world. We learn as much from our negative experiences, sometimes more than we do from our positive. You know, it, if you speak to business people, they'll tell you that they often learn more from their failures than they do from their successes. It's not pleasant but you can learn from it. As long as you have the skills to resolve the emotions with or without help or both, then a negative experience is just something you need to work through. 
So sometimes you'll push that boundary and you'll have a negative experience and realize, actually, this is a boundary that just needs to stay in place indefinitely. Make sure that you are communicating with your partner regularly. Make sure you're being honest with yourself about how you feel, even if you know you're going to be disappointing your partner. You do neither of you any favors by ignoring your own feelings because you don't want to disappoint them. I hope that helps. Next question. I don't want to be non-monogamous, but my partner does. Is this destined for failure? Great question. I'm so impressed with your questions, all of you. Um, No, it is not. It is possible to have a relationship as one non-monogamous person with a monogamous person. But that does take extra work. You have to negotiate well, have nice, clear boundaries, and find ways of meeting in the middle. In most polymono relationships, um, the non-monogamous things that happen happen away from the monogamous partner, and they are fairly tightly defined. I've worked with a lot of couples. I wrote a blog post on this in 2017, and it's still my most hit blog post, and I still get a good 50% of my referrals from my website come from that blog post. Um, Because I do say there that it actually is possible to move forward in this way for some people, but it takes a lot of work and it takes ongoing work. Your communication needs to be superb to have a non-monogamous relationship. When you're in a mixed relationship, it needs to be one step better. You're going to be doing a lot of emotional processing. You need to have places separate from the relationship where you can process emotions, where people aren't going to judge you and tell you, you know, if you're the non-monogamous person, well, you just, look, this never works and you need to stop because, um, and get a non-monogamous partner because this will never work. Or if you're the monogamous person where they don't tell you that every problem is related to the fact that your partner is non-monogamous. I'm actually working on a book at the moment with practical steps of how to deal with this. Um, It's a really practical, straightforward book. I'm not exactly sure when it'll be out. I'm in the midst of it. But um, suffice to say, it doesn't mean the end of your relationship. It isn't doomed to failure. It just means it's going to be a lot of hard work. So you both need to choose that and acknowledge that. And you will need external support. I have rarely seen couples manage this on their own with no professional help. Thank you for that question. How do you make sure you don't compromise yourself or your career as a female getting into a relationship? Um, Thank you for this question. It's a hard question to answer because I'm not sure what you mean by compromise. Um, as As a human in a relationship, not compromising yourself means making sure you're true to your own ideals, your morals, your ethics. Um, your uh, beliefs about yourself and that you don't enter into a relationship with anybody who is going to demean you, debase you, or degrade you unless that's something you do for kink consensually. And I'm not joking when I say that. People have humiliation kinks. As long as that's something you consent to, that's different. Um, 
the best way to do this is to know what your morals are, to make sure you hold yourself high, to know what being in alignment would look like. You know, you have to know these things about yourself so you do not do yourself down because um, you you will compromise yourself if you keep people pleasing. That's the biggest way that people, not just women, compromise themselves in relationships is they people please to the point of not um, prioritizing their needs at all. And therefore, they don't get their needs met. In terms of compromising your career, I think that's a, that's a bit of a harder question to answer without detailed information. Um, so I'm not going to say anything more about that. If, uh, if there's a more detailed question that I can answer, I will pick it up at that time. Thanks for the question. Okay. I'm so impressed with these. I'm unable to sustain a re uh, to sustain an erection. This is causing me to suffer from performance anxiety. What can I do? Um, it, it depends on why you're unable to sustain a an erection. Being completely honest, right? Transparent. If you have a medical condition that makes you unable to sustain an, an erection, then um, working to accept that, and I don't mean um, erectile dysfunction, I mean an actual medical condition that means that no matter what medication you're given and what psychological help you're given, you're not going to be able to sustain an erection. If that's the problem, there's a physiological problem that's causing this, you have to do the psychological work necessary to accept that. And then the way you deal with it is you're upfront with your partner. My erection isn't in play because I can't sustain an erection. So you learn to engage in all other types of sexual activity that don't require an erection for satisfaction. However, most people who have erectile problems they are intermittent. They are not purely physical. Um, and um, a, a lot of them are psychological. Um, so do the work to work on these problems. Now, that may mean taking some medication to help with erection so that you can sustain it longer or sustain it at all. Um, that may mean dealing with the psychological side. Many uh, people, who have an erection failure during sex, so they lose their erection or they couldn't sustain it. Once that's happened, even though that is so unbelievably common and really happens to people with penises at some point during their lives for a wide variety of reasons, the problem is, is that sometimes once that happens, there's anxiety about it happening again, and this becomes performance anxiety and it grows and builds. So if that's the case, actually get some psychological help around performance anxiety. Sex therapists regularly deal with this. Accredited sex therapists deal with this on a very regular basis. Um, different kinds of Sex and relationship therapists tend to deal with different problems more regularly. We all have our special areas. Um, I'm known for anything to do with um, alternative relationship styles, non-monogamy, 
polymono relationships, polyamory, and kink BDSM power exchanges, um, kinks, BDSM fetishes, and all of these things. I have colleagues who are known for helping people with performance anxiety and erectile dysfunction. And there are quite a lot of people who do specialize in this area. So get some help. That's the quickest, easiest way. They, they'll be able to help you figure out where the anxiety is coming from, give you really good exercises and help to build that skill. But please first eliminate the possibility that it's purely physical because it's soul destroying when you've done everything that a therapist has asked you to do and nothing works only to discover that actually nothing was ever going to work to begin with because you've got a physiological problem. Hope that helps. Uh-huh. Here we go. My partner doesn't want to try anal, but I do. What can we do? Well, ultimately, if you're monogamous and, and you can't make it something that might be pleasant for them, you're out of luck. Right. However, a lot of the time that people don't want to try anal because they think anal is definitely going to hurt. They think anal is always penetration. Um, so it's always um, a large object penetrating a small hole. Um, and they don't know a lot about the logistics of anal. They're not aware how much erotic pleasure that everyone, regardless of gender, can gain from anal stimulation. Um, and sometimes if you, if they learn about all the possibilities, they might be more willing to try it, particularly if you learn how to make it really pleasurable for them and how to make it pain-free. So that's where you start. Um, as I have said for some other questions, for this, you want to take a class. You want to learn all about anal and all about the ways to make anal pleasurable and all about the kinds of anal sex that you can have and stimulation that you can have um, and all about how to minimize or have no pain while you're doing this. And if your partner's willing to try some of it for you, then you can do that together. That's one possibility. Remember that there are things like butt plugs that you can have in graduated sizes so somebody can get used to the feeling of penetration. So there's all sorts of things that can be done to make anal sex absolutely amazing, whatever form the anal sex takes. So it's not always penetration with a large object. It could be penetration with fingers or a small object or a butt plug or a vibrating dildo, or it could be um, a tongue, right? There's all sorts of things you can do. Also, anal sex is most pleasurable when you're really turned on. Don't forget to stimulate all the other organs. You don't just concentrate on that without stimulating everything else. However, um, if your partner is open to non-monogamy, then one way of dealing with this is to, to find somebody who does like anal. And then your partner can say, hey, you know what? Go ahead and do that with them. So those are your options. You educate so that maybe your partner will be willing to try this with you. Sometimes people do a trade-off. Like if we go and get some good education, will you try it once or twice so we can see if it's really off the table or if it's just something that you're afraid of? And I'll try something I don't 
I'm telling you I don't want to do so we can see if that could be on the table. Or if it's off the table completely, then you work on imagining it in fantasy. It's just one thing you don't get to do. You know, if you're monogamous, there are some things that you won't get to do. That's how it works. Um, but as long as you're getting enough of what you enjoy, that's usually not a problem. Um, but if you're non-monogamous, you can also look for a partner for whom that is the thing that they want to do. And it's a lot of fun with them. And you can take that over there and not bother the person who doesn't want to do it. I hope that helps. More, more, more. Okay. How do I set boundaries when I'm not exactly sure what I like in a relationship? One at a time. You don't have to come into the relationship and set a hundred boundaries at the start. You can say, I'm not exactly sure what I like. And so I'm going to do some exploring with you. I do think it's important that you do exploring on your own so that you come to relationships knowing a bit more about what you like. And that may not mean doing exploring physically, because that's something you, you would need to do with a partner, right, for some activities, but at least exploring erotica um, and fantasy to know what kinds of things get you going. But you can start out by having the boundary be, I may try some things tentatively because I'm not sure what I like yet. Or the boundary can be, I'd like to go slow. So. I'm drawing a line at fast moving stuff and work together in order to figure out what you like. I hope that helps. I will say that if you're not used to setting boundaries, period, or that's not an area where you have um, um, confidence or skill, again, people teach, there's lots of articles and things written about teaching boundaries. Um, but classes on boundaries are better um, because they help. There's role play and they help you learn to set boundaries. They have you write boundaries and, and restate boundaries. I teach boundaries class a couple times a year. It's a three hour workshop. It's boundaries 101. Um, I teach more advanced classes when I have enough students for on demand. It's online. Um, it is um, uh, 125 pounds a person for the three hours and the workbook. Um, and there's usually between 15 and 35 people in the class, no more than 35 people in the class. Um, we do exercises. We learn, we learn how to construct a boundary. We learn how to choose words for a boundary. We learn how to present a boundary. We practice holding a boundary. Um, and we practice when we decide we want to move a boundary and how to negotiate that. Um, it's intense, but it is also good fun. Um, and I advise you, if not with me, to find a workshop like that um, to practice if this is something you're not practiced at. Because it's in a safe space, practicing setting boundaries for the first time with people you really care about, where you might upset them, where it might be problematic can be very daunting for people. And so sometimes they just keep letting it slide because they're afraid they're going to lose someone. If you're practicing it with um, people who you don't care about, it's, it's easier. How can I make my partner squirt? Good question. Um, there are a variety of techniques that will um, help uh, people with vaginas squirt. Not everyone 
who has a vagina squirts. Most of us are capable of squirting. Some people do it easily, others do not. There are in fact special techniques. Um, there is a particular technique from Africa. And if I can pronounce the name, I will. So I'm just looking for the transliteration so I can see if I can pronounce it for you. Let's see. Kunyaza um, is a technique. Uh, people claim it makes 90% of women squirt. It is actually a very specific technique. I know a lot of people have had a lot of success. There are people who can teach it to you. Um, if you are in the London area, um, you can go to Jessica Parker's website and, and from there, the page on her website, that's Ebony and Ivory, um, she and her partner do sexological body work and he teaches kunyaza. He will not only do it so you can experience, but they do do couple sessions where they have the couple in and they will teach the partner how to make the person squirt. Me describing it is not going to help you learn how to do it. How do I remember all the boundaries in group sex? Well, it depends on who you're having sex with. Not all group sex scenarios have lots of boundaries. If you're not sure you're going to remember all the boundaries and you're afraid that you're going to screw up, ask people. Just because you're having sex doesn't mean you stop talking and asking questions. So the easiest way to do it is to ask people. Remind yourself of the boundaries. Before you jump in, say, what are the boundaries for this situation? How do you keep sex interesting and varied in monogamy? One of the challenges of keeping sex interesting in monogamy is the fact that um, we all usually reference new relationship sex, new relationship energy, which is when all the bonding chemicals are flowing in our body and when we don't know anything about the person, so we're discovering them physically. Um, and that's exciting and humans like mystery. So that can be very exciting. It can also be very unsatisfying. So sometimes sex with a new person means you don't have many orgasms because they don't understand how your body works. But a lot of times people think of that time as the most exciting and the sex is the most exciting and think about long-term down the road as being, being monogamous with a partner as sex getting boring. It doesn't have to. Um, so one way of keeping it interesting is remembering that humans like variety and humans like mystery. Role play is an amazing way to spice sex up again. Now, role play often makes people laugh, though. They feel silly. And that's okay. You can do role play and feel silly. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I've got some material on this. If, if people are interested in going into this in depth, it's a class that I teach regularly. Um, um, it's a workshop that is a hands-on workshop. So it's a small group workshop. Um, and it's called Casanova Secret. Um, and it's all about changing things up and role play and how you create a good role play, what makes a good role play, what to do if you're falling about laughing on the floor, um, what to do when it doesn't work out. So that's one way to keep sex varied and interesting. Try new things. Try new things is another way to keep it varied and interesting. 
Um, so try kinks, try BDSM, go looking at all sorts of unusual and obscure erotica. Think about what you might like. Um, test out what you might like alone. Spend some time in self-pleasure. Bring it to your partner. Make sure that you build anticipation. So do not come in at the end of the night when you've both been working, you're both exhausted. And it's like tonight, sex night, you know, I'm going to give you a kiss and then we're going to have sex in the way that we always do, the way that we know will produce an orgasm for each other, turn over and go to sleep. Don't do that frequently. There are times where it's okay to do that, but do not do that frequently. Instead, plan an evening, plan a date night, um, have forbidden things. For example, for the next three weeks, all you can do is kiss. See if you can keep to that rule. By the time you have sex, I can guarantee you it's not going to be boring. So do things to disrupt the rhythm and routine that you have fallen into because we all have very busy lives. And that's what happens when we know people. When we figure out something that works, we really don't want to go back to not being able to really cause our partner the kinds of, of pleasure we, we, we've learned to, to give them, right? We want satisfying sex. We want orgasms. But orgasm is not the be all and end all for satisfying sex. You can have incredible sex with no orgasm. You can have incredible sex with body orgasm and not genital orgasm. There are so many variations out there. Make it your business to do a study of all sex and variations. Find classes, find books, listen to podcasts, try things out, talk about it. Set special time for it. Ritualize it. So make your space beautiful and know that you're concentrating on each other and on bringing joy and pleasure to each other. That will keep it going in monogamy long term. There are plenty of monogamous people who have amazingly wonderful, exciting, varied sex lives with their partners for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Is it always wonderful, varied and fantastic? No, it's not. We all go through periods where we're having less sex, where the sex isn't so good, where we're finding it difficult, where we're not really enjoying it, where we're not attracted to our partner for a little while. That's part of a long-term relationship, whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous. So understanding the changes we go through, but not allowing a period where you're having less sex or no sex to become the way it is forever. Constant communication with each other. And actually, the more emotionally intimate you are with each other, the more attention you give each other, the better the sex is overall in general. Hope that helps. All righty. As a male, how do I tell my partner I want to be pegged without her looking differently at me? In the first instance, you should understand that wanting to be pegged does not mean that you want to be fucked by another man. Men have prostates. Prostates are located inside. They're accessed via the anus. That is one of your absolutely hottest erogenous areas. When you think of that, some people call the prostate the male G-spot.
location people argue about. And so what I'm going to suggest to you is I'm not going to tell you an exact location. I'm going to tell you to actually look that up and get a few answers with diagrams um, to try and figure that out. The male G-spot's a little bit easier. Most people suggest the male G-spot is the prostate. Prostate stimulation can be intensely erotic. Most men who want to be pegged, that's what they want. They want that erotic stimulation. Sometimes they want to be in a more submissive position. So if your partner is educated about what pegging is and what it is not, then they're less likely to look at you in a funny way. But the best way to really talk with a partner about it is just to be straight. Describe what the desire is. Describe what you think you're going to enjoy about it. If they look at you funny, tell them how you feel that they're looking at you funny. Our partners are full and whole human beings, and we need to allow for the fact that their interests and tastes might change, that a dominant person may not always feel or be dominant, um, that a man may not always want to be on top, et cetera. Um, and so have a little faith that your partner with you talking about it with them in a frank, open and honest way, um, with you giving them material to show them that this is not weird, abnormal. It doesn't mean you're gay. It doesn't mean you want men. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're submissive. None of those things. If you give them the educational material, it may be easier. However, sometimes people are really worried that their partner is going to yuck their yum that they're going to tell their partner they want something and their partner's going to be like, Ugh, and look at them differently. If you're really, really worried about that, tell your partner in a session with a coach or a therapist. Have somebody there to help you mediate that discussion. Go talk about it yourself with a coach and a therapist Get or therapist. Get tips on how you go about doing that. I frequently do this with people and then invite the partner in for the session and say, Okay, so you guys are here because um, he's got some desires that he'd like to share with you, um, and he really couldn't figure out how to do that. I'm here to help you manage this discussion so that everybody hears everybody else, but also to answer any questions that you have in case you're confused, upset, or worried about what this actually means. That's a one-off type thing, sometimes a two-session two thing, but it can be a really nice way of managing that if you're really frightened that your partner's going to go, ooh. Hope that one helps. All righty. No matter how much I would like a girl, as soon as we have sex, had sex, I don't want to take it further. Even if I don't have sex and wait, it still happens when we have sex. How do I get past this? Um, I can't answer this in a podcast, I'm afraid. You need to go see a therapist to figure out what's going on here. There's something going on with the way that you see sex and um, partnership and some division there. So uh, that's a really individual situation. There's so many variables that can be there that that's something you need to take up with, with a therapist or a coach to kind of explore. What is it that shifts your viewpoint as soon as somebody's intimate with you? Please keep in mind, people, that when I recommend therapy or coaching or both to people, 
that I'm not recommending years and years of work in, in any of these cases. Um, people have weird hangups about therapy um, and, and even weird hangups about coaching for relationships and sex. But there are some things that you really need a professional's help to get through. Just like if you have a virus, you go to a doctor to make sure that you know, it's something that you don't need medication for. When you have an infection, you take an antibiotic. You go see an expert in the area to help facilitate you getting where you want to be. This is no different. There is no shame in this. Oh, no. I want to answer this, but... Oh, okay. Here we go. How do I, a bisexual girl, navigate the world of female-female relationships? Um, well, if you're non-monogamous, you're just really clear with you with potential female partners that you also have sexual relationships with other genders. If you're monogamous, clearly, um, then you're going to be making a choice. And if you're going to have a relationship, a same-sex relationship, it means you're not going to have another gendered relationship. Uh, sometimes um, women who are not bisexual, so women who are lesbian, have issues with bisexual women because they don't want to have sex with with a woman who's had a penis inside her or anywhere's near her. That's their choice. But that means that that's an automatic rule out for you, right? So I'm just be really clear about what your bisexuality looks like. The other reason that sometimes lesbian women don't want to have sex with bisexual women is because they're used to meeting and falling in love with a woman who then eventually runs off with a man. So be terribly clear about what your romantic relationship pattern looks like, not just about what your sexual pattern looks like. Be clear about if your desire is 50-50 and you're looking for monogamy. Be clear about if your desire is 50-50 and you're looking for non-monogamy or 90-10, whatever it is. Describe it clearly. Be very upfront about it and watch the other person's response. Listen to their response. If they're not able to accept you how you are, move on. Okay, this isn't a question. This was just a statement of somebody having a, a crush on someone else. So I'm not going to read it out. To the person who told me they had a crush on someone, go tell the person. If you don't tell them, nothing will happen. Buck up your courage and go tell them. The worst that can happen is you're not their cup of tea. And you move on. You'll get crushes on other people. Good luck. Okay. I always seem to be in the same battle. On one hand, I believe that there is never going to be a perfect partner for me. Hence, I should lower my standards. But on the other hand, whenever I do date someone, I always think that it's problematic and end it as I do think that there's a better match for me. 
and I shouldn't settle for just anyone. Do you have any advice or recommendations on how I can break out of this cycle? Um, first of all, there's no such thing as perfect. And there is no one perfect partner for you. There are many great partners for you. And if you're monogamous, you're going to choose one of those options. Secondly, you need to do some work on you. Sorry, I know I sound repetitive, but this cycle is of your own making. So you need to understand why it is that you think you're lowering your standards, if you even are, and then why you throw that over looking for something else. Um, people can have uh, can have this kind of a cycle when they're anxious. And so it, it's they, they succumb to the idea that the grass will be greener somewhere else. Um, and it's because they haven't worked out their own issues or because they're afraid they're going to be thrown over or rejected by someone they really love and they don't want to take the risk of being hurt. So this is the cycle they get into. So this is one that you really do need to take to coaching or therapy um, in order to resolve. It is though. I like really old men. What should I do? Is there a problem with that? If you're happy with that and the really old men are attracted to you and they're happy with that, what's the problem? As long as you are above the age of consent and are consenting, what's the problem? The problem may be what society says, that's something you work on dealing with. If you truly, that's who you're attracted to, go for your attraction. Obviously, if you're below the age of consent, there is a problem. I'm not even going to ask you to define what really old is because I think that's really relative. Can I go to a sex party and just watch? Great question. Sometimes yes and sometimes no. There are some sex parties in which um, there's concern that the people who are watching are what we call looky-loos, who are people who are not actually interested in any of this, and they make people feel uncomfortable. They're just curious. They're not turned on by watching. But lots of sex parties are quite happy to invite you as a voyeur. So if you just get turned on by watching, you can do that. And also lots of the time, if you're new and all you want to do is watch, people have no issue with that. As long as you're respectful. So, you know, making lots of noise while people are doing things, not a great idea. Um, Masturbating in front of somebody where you are in their personal space, um, not a great idea. You know, that's something that you have to get consent for. But as long as you're respectful, enjoying watching and quiet, not making obnoxious comments or any comments about anything. Right. If you're talking out loud and making comments about people you're not having sex with, that's not going to go over. Watching and enjoying usually fine, but do check. There are rules for each party. So always check with the organizer as to how they feel about that and have fun. All right. I'd like to try more things to enhance our sex life, but I'm worried a partner may find it strange. How do I bring it up? So the easiest way to bring things up if you're afraid to actually just bring up the conversation is to do it in a little bit of a surreptitious way. So you might say, oh, hey, somebody um, somebody recommended this book to me. Let's see what we think of it. Or you might say, hey, what do you think of this story? Or what do you think of this movie? And not, or, oh, 
I was told this was interesting and just pass it on to them and wait until they feed back to you what they think. That's a way to start the conversation. Instead of saying, I've been thinking, I would like to try this. So if they're watching this thing that you are really into and going, oh, ooh, ooh, then you know that this is going to be a bit more of a difficult conversation. Um, and then, as I said earlier, you might want to have the help of the therapist in order to facilitate the conversation. Uh, and and uh, sex coaches can also facilitate that conversation. How do I stop my boyfriend climaxing too soon? I'm afraid that's more down to him than it is to you. Uh, this is another one that sex therapists do a really great job of helping people with. Um, and um, there are all sorts of all sorts of techniques they employ in order to help uh, men delay ejaculation. Um, and they will advise partners bits and pieces that they can do. But ultimately, most of that is about them. So you can't really do it, but you should go see a sex therapist with him who will probably spend more time with him and then some time with the two of you in order to help with that issue. And yes, that can, you can get help with that. I have sexual thoughts and masturbate to my partner's friends. Is this normal? Uh, yeah, people get turned on by all sorts of things. And, and we do tend to get turned on by things that are familiar to us, people that are in our surroundings. And so sometimes it's your partner's friends. Um, it's normal. Um, I would not be sharing it with them because it's likely to make them uncomfortable. And this is just masturbation fantasy. Masturbation fantasies don't need to mean anything. It doesn't mean you necessarily want to do anything. If it's something, if you only masturbate to their friends, then I'd be concerned about that. But if it's just something that happens sometimes because you fancy them, they did something sexy, you know, whatever you masturbate to is fine. It's your own personal um, uh, turn on and your own personal little enjoyment and don't worry about it. We've asked for the best tips for all our sex, but we haven't said for men, women, non-binary trans, we've not said. Um, the best tip I can give you, no matter who it is that you're performing oral sex on, is be enthusiastic and enjoy what you're doing. The more you enjoy what you're doing, the better it's going to be. That's the absolute best tip. The next best tip that I can also offer that will apply to erogenous zone and it's all over the body so use everything the third best tip is take your time oral sex does not have to be the prelude to intercourse oral sex can be a thing in and of itself do not limit yourself to three minutes of oral and now we're doing something take your time enjoy it sink into it have a wonderful time with it let your partner know just how hot you think they are Oh, and finally, have good hygiene. That helps. How did you become so experienced?
I give you the benefit of when I teach, when I work with people therapeutically, when I answer questions. Part of how I became as experienced as I have is that um, I started young. I tried a lot of things. Um, I'm fine with how young I was when I started, but this, the set, the situations that meant that I started young were not the greatest. Um, I have, uh, I worked hard to become comfortable with who I am sexually, which meant that I was happy to go out and get more experience. I knew that I was non-monogamous fairly young, uh, but then I had a monogamous relationship. So that time was set aside. Um, and then once I was comfortable in owning that I was non-monogamous, I had more partners. Therefore, sometimes I had more experiences, not always though. I read a lot um, and I prioritize my relationship, sex and desire. So that's all the ways that I've gotten so experienced. I'm also not a young woman now. So I've been around a long time. I've been having sexual experiences for a long time. Practice, practice, and practice. Can girls come? Absolutely, they do on a regular basis. Uh, I think that question is, can girls have orgasms? It might not be. You might mean, can girls ejaculate? And again, yes, girls can. Some girls ejaculate, some girls don't. The fluid comes from um, a separate set of glands um, in the area of the vulva and the vagina. And um, it's not terribly predictable what will make a girl come or what won't if you're talking just about ejaculation. But if you mean, can girls reach orgasm? Yeah, they can. And many of them can have multiple orgasms. Um, okay. Final question that I've got at the moment. I struggle to verbalize how I'm feeling in the moment when discussing emotions in relationships. How can I work on this? In part, it depends on why you struggle. What I always advise people to do when they struggle to express feelings is to start by writing things down or dictating them if you don't like to write. Express your feelings not in the moment. Be clear about what you want to say and express your feelings in a way that you can share with your partner and then discuss. So a stepping stone to being able to say how you're feeling right in the moment is to actually sit down and either write or dictate how you're feeling and give it to your partner to look at and then discuss because that will make it easier to discuss your feelings. If it's anxiety that's making it hard for you to express yourself, there are a wide variety of anxiety reduction techniques you can employ, um, which is hard to remember exactly, to, sorry, to recommend exactly which ones you might need in this situation. But you look at employing anxiety reduction techniques. If it's fear of your partner's reaction, that is really um, working on that fear and then just being courageous and expressing what you feel. Um, but a nice way to start this is to actually make sure that you write down what you're feeling um, and sort of have that as a pre, a prelude to the discussion. And that sometimes really helps make it easier. Thank you for joining me for this podcast where we've had all these amazing questions um, from the set of Open House, The Great Sex Experiment, season two, uh, where we are finishing up filming. Next week, the letter is Z. 
If you have suggestions for podcasts, questions you would like me to answer, um, people that you would like to hear me interview or have discussions with, please send them to Lori Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. Reviews are really important. I like to incentivize people reviewing this podcast and the books that I write. If you put a review up on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, or um, for my books, anywhere you have purchased the book, like Amazon or Goodreads, you will be entered into a draw each month. People are entered into a draw for 30 minutes free with me. Now, these days, I don't offer 30 minutes free as standard anymore for new clients because I no longer have the time to do that. And the minimum amount of money you will pay for 30 minutes with me is 75 pounds. So it's at least a 75 pound And actually, there are only a limited number of sessions at 75 pounds, and it goes up from there. So it's worth it to spend five minutes and write a review if you would actually like some one-on-one time with me to get your specific individual questions answered um, or to find out information about anything to do with sex and relationships. So if you write me a re- if you write me a review, please do then email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com so I know who to put into the draw and I will put you into the draw once each month. I choose a name out of a hat and I'll get in touch with you by email with a link so that you can book your free appointment. Have an amazing week. Have a lot of fun. Be safe. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex. If you're in North America, if you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy. <laughs>